0: Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 8th edition of Podigas, a podcast where we speak to the leaders of just about every kind of organization you could imagine in order to explore the impact of technology both today and in the future. I'm your host, Elsie Bean, the CEO of employee-owned Paragus Strategic IT located in Hadley, Massachusetts and serving clients all over New England and beyond. With me today, I have Marianne Winters of Safe Passage. A graduate of the College of St. Rose, Marianne then went on to get a graduate degree from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. From there, Marianne has served in numerous roles across Central and Western Massachusetts for organizations that provide critical support services to women who have been the victims of crime. The path then led her to her current role, where she is serving as the Executive Director of Safe Passage out of Northampton, Massachusetts. Welcome, Marianne, and thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So I want to start off just by asking, you've dedicated so much of your career to the work of providing services to women. If you don't mind me asking, was there something that drew you into this important work?
1: Um, I, I came to realize very early kind of in my life when I was discerning my career that connecting to social change was going to be it. And then um, I you know, ended up as a volunteer at a rape crisis center in Worcester when I first moved to Massachusetts back in the eighties. And um, from there just really um, stayed connected to the principles and values of what we were doing and, um, you know, started working around domestic violence, worked for a little bit with our state coalition. So it just kind of became clear as my um, sort of life's purpose and career path. So. Yeah, I sort of think of myself as a kind of recycled, you know, advocate, you know, I've been to different organizations, but um, doing very kind of similar work at different levels.
0: Well, it's amazing to find that life purpose so early in your career, and you clearly have dedicated a lot of your career to it. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Before we go any further, I find both for the benefit of the listeners and also for myself, it's helpful to kind of understand when it comes to technology, how savvy would you describe yourself to be?
1: I would say I'm pretty savvy as a user. You know, I you know have learned a lot of you know programs, applications, that sort of thing. I don't see myself as savvy as savvy in the the background. I don't understand code. I don't understand you know that sort of thing, but um, I'm savvy enough to know what I don't know. And so to try to surround myself, And identify people who can kind of take the applications and make them work for me and then across the staff.
0: That's terrific. Yeah. Sometimes knowing what you don't know is the most important knowledge you can have. Indeed. indeed. (laughs) So as I mentioned, you've been working in this space for a long time, and you've probably seen a lot of change over that career. Can you tell us a little bit about how technology has impacted the space and the work that you do?
1: Well, you know, the first real, you know, when I started doing this work, you know, we had one IBM Selectric typewriter in the office for when we wanted to finalize the thing. It was literally before the internet. And so, you know, when we needed to copy something, we had a a nearby university that allowed us to go and use their copier. So, you know, we were very very bare bones as a movement, you know, this movement started around people's kitchen tables. And so I was kind of on the, you know, I was in that transitional phase from a real grassroots volunteer approach into um, kind of more organizational approach, but you know, it was pre-internet. So the first major advancement of technology was the fax machine. And we could program our fax machine to actually do legislative alerts to all of our colleagues across the state. And that was such a, you know, rather than having to make 18 different calls or 18 different things, like the whole idea that with one fax phone call, we could actually get people mobilized to come to the state house or get people you know informed about you know legislation that's passed or do an action alert was you know that was revolutionary and then of course you know email and <laughs> the internet and all of that just kind of further enhanced that so the way that the work is done now is i would say completely changed like you wouldn't recognize it from you know 1987 to now
0: And it sounds like predominantly the evolution has been around communication, getting information out, distributing information. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, tracking information, keeping the agency um, sort of agency intelligence, you know, going from, you know, file cabinets full of articles and reports, research findings to actually an electronic platform where any staff can look things up um keeping our database of funders and donors, um, keeping project plans, sharing them. So with each kind of development, you know, when when we learned about track changes, you know, in Word, that was like, wow, we could take like one document and, you know, send it around. And then and now most of being on the Google space, and so we could all do that simultaneously. That kind of stuff is um, you know has been transformative.
0: Yeah, and we were talking a little bit before we started this interview about how the pandemic has also kind of taught you what you can do remotely and kind of helped expand kind of the, the vision. How do you see the staff using technology differently post-pandemic compared to pre-pandemic?
1: Well, um, certainly the, the multimedia capability, the, the ability to... Um, reach each other and our clients using, using you know video spaces, um, more efficiency around sort of sharing documents. You know so it's changed that. It also has really um, having to rely solely on that while we're all remote because of the safety, I think has, has really amplified the ways that being in person, being next to somebody, Cashing something out, discussing something, coming up with a solution in that in-person space has a value to it, you know, like that being in that energy, being able to like share food, take a drink, you know, have a beverage, take a walk around the block, all of those things And you know, I and and all of our staff have really missed those opportunities. And we've had to create, you know, kind of virtual workflow spaces to kind of replace that kind of day-to-day interaction where you have a quick question of somebody, you pop your head into their office, you walk down the hallway, you check in, check in with somebody after they've been back after some time out or whatever. How was your vacation? Let's see pictures of your new grandchild. All of that stuff. Just that personal, you know, relationship is just so important to people staying kind of motivated and feeling like they're taken care of, you know? So there's both, there's both aspects
0: to it. I think you said it perfectly. I think that a lot of us took for granted some of those in-person interactions and, you know, as much as, as wonderful as technology is, it doesn't replace human connection. And I agree completely. There's something about being in a room together with a whiteboard and talking about an idea that it's hard to mimic that online.
1: Yeah. You brainstorm it together or even just, and especially with, um, you know, our counselors, um, you know, we we have still had, you know, our shelter staff has remained hi- hybrid. You know, they have had in-person interaction. Obviously, you know, it's a physical, they're physically with us. Um, we actually have um, rehoused our shelter guests in separate apartments, but, you know, we deliver groceries to them and do that level of support. So, you know, we know that there's some things that you just can't replace that way.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So as you look forward and you think about what technology could impact safe passage and other organizations who provide similar services in this space, what do you see coming over the next three to five years? Or maybe what do you hope will come?
1: Well, um huh, I I have I have I feel like I have trouble keeping up with like the changes in technology every ten or fifteen minutes. So to Switch to being in that future mode is, um, you know, it's interesting. You know, um, I I hope that there is greater and greater attention to the um, some of the human trade-offs of technology, and especially by that I mean in our work, you know, we do safety planning and we do, you know, try to help people in some cases stay completely hidden like we help people escape abusive situations we help people you know we provide them housing we provide them with um you know safety planning and so um i hope that some of the major technology providers more and more begin to understand the the trade-offs of this constant connection and the you know this ability to track people because that's that's outright dangerous for our clients. And so a lot of what we work on is um, workarounds. So we also know that it's not realistic and we've tried this and it doesn't work. Not realistic to just say, well, stay off those platforms, stay off social media, don't use the internet because trying to get resettled, all of the aspects of someone's well-being is connected to the internet from finding housing, from finding a job to getting a summer camp situation for their kids to connecting with their schools like everything and you know so i hope that there's more and more solid options for the safe use of technology for people for whom the the bells and whistles of it actually can create a real level of danger
0: no i think that's a great point and i It's easy for some of us to dismiss the privacy concerns and to say, whatever, if I'm being tracked and I can live with that. But you bring up such an important point that we take for granted that maybe that privacy doesn't threaten our safety. But to those who does, it's such a different issue.
1: It is. And for some of us, it feels weird. You know, like I was on YouTube and then up popped a a, a video um, talking about a medication that I'm on. I mean, how, of all of the medications in the world, this can't be a coincidence. Like, how did that happen, you know? Um, so it's, it's um, you know, we go to great steps to try to um, teach people about their privacy, to help them think through how they can protect their privacy and their um, security. But we know we're just a little organization compared to the monstrous tech world it's, you know, sometimes I feel like our efforts around that are, are just minuscule, a drop in the bucket to um, what the, just dis- compared to what the real danger is.
0: Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. So kind of along those same lines, as you think about the kind of the extreme end of technology, is there something that could happen in the world of technology that you would see as significantly disrupting or changing the space that you're in?
1: Well, I think for one thing, I'm concerned about the whole, like, levels of internet access that could potentially, like, the, the way of cutting people off who don't have the means to actually have, you know, high-speed internet for one thing, but also just access to particular sites and platforms and, you know, um, resources, because that's, that's about cutting off people from resources. Um, So, you know, we work primarily with people who are, you know, in some marginalized group or another, you know, since I've been here, you know, the unfortunate, like there have been, you know, six. Homicides within our area, and each one, each one, was a member of one of the most marginalized groups in Hampshire County, and we know that because we've done a lot of research on like the population of Hampshire County. Our strategic plan is really focused there, and you know the less access they have to not only the technology, the platforms, but also just the all right technology and training and um, privacy within that the the more marginalized they get that technology becomes like one more way to elevate elevate the you know wage inequities elevate the resource inequities all of that i would like to see technology be used to actually you know support coming having those gaps come together you know
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think that's especially in this post-pandemic world, I think we're realizing just how much an inequality can occur by not having access to not only internet, but, you know, technology equipment that allows you to, you know, use the internet. I mean, there's a huge percentage of the population that uses only a mobile device and you can't work remotely from a mobile device. And if yeah. your employer is putting you in a work remote situation and they don't have equipment for you and you can't, use your cell phone, that doesn't actually work. Um, right.
1: right. And, you know, our, we have clients both in the community program and a shelter who whose kids were all of a sudden in a remote school situation but didn't have even uh, a Google Chrome. And you can say, like, all right, now there's, like, cheap enough technology where everybody ought to be able to have it. But, you know, people who are poor do not have the means to come up with that extra two or $300 and um, figure out how to get on it. So a lot of our work has changed in terms of identifying just access to technology as one of many basic needs, as important as food, um, you know, food, water, housing. So um, that's that's been a shift in how we think about what we can provide and um, help people acquire or connect with tech, you know, with tech vendors
0: to help fill that gap again. Yeah, and it, I think you bring up a great point, and I've even seen it brought one step further of you have the internet, you have the device, you know, maybe the school gave you the Chromebook or somehow you got access to it, but you don't know how to configure it or get it on the Wi-Fi or it's crashing, and there's no tech right. support either. Right. And so you're still you living in this screen. world. What of, do I do? Yeah. Exactly, right. yeah. So I've got two <laughs> of my three, but I still can't – I'm still not there.
1: Right. Right, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's been a lot of our our support and advocacy that we've had to provide. All of our counselors have had to kind of understand where people are with technology. In some cases, we've um, had to get, you know, use some of our funds or get grants to actually provide that. Um, We also um, are changing the way technology is utilized in our shelter um, so that we have, you know, we have the right equipment for people to be able to actually do the work of their lives, you know, within, within the shelter setting.
0: That's terrific. So you've already kind of alluded to one of your fears around technology. Are there any other fears that you have about technology that keep you up at night?
1: Um, You know, I do worry, especially when we're um, we're in the middle of hot chocolate run season, like, All of that data, it's the whole hot chocolate run, which is about 30 to 40% of our budget, is technology. You know, it's people signing up, but the fundraising part, the keeping track of who who donated, generating thank you notes, generating um prompts to do to um, you know, when people are close to getting that coveted red hat, things like that. Um, you know, it's all technology. If that goes down. That's a a tangible loss you know of funds that we could use to support survivors, so i you know I think about that I also you know when it when it comes to administrative work, I also think about all, all of our you know data and information you know we have encryptions on our client database, that sort of thing, and um it's great to have an electronic client database, and at the same time sometimes i Almost wish for like the the what we used to have is just like paper you know paper files that were locked and highly secure.
0: Sorry about that, man. That's okay. The irony is not lost on me.
1: Nope, not at all.
0: <laughs> right, so you were we were just kind of talking about. How, what some of your fears around technology were. And you were talking about how you almost kind of pined for the days when everything was in a locked filing cabinet. Um, and I kind of just continued that thought. I think you were about to say something about either security or reliability, or I wasn't sure exactly where you were going to end that.
1: Well, there's so much advantage to, you know, having, having it electronically. It's more convenient. People can better collaborate. Um, and the level of and we do have the level of encryption that makes me feel that that's recommended by our national partners and that sort of thing. It just, um, you know, how long will that be? You know, at what point will that up be obsolete? At what point will, you know, could we ever see a breach? There's a breach in confidentiality of that. That can be obviously a safety risk, um, legal liability, all of that. So, um, Yeah, that's one of the things that
0: I worry about. Yeah, I don't know how much you follow kind of the, probably not too closely, but the deep technology around encryption. And there's this day that we're all terrified of coming where quantum computing will make it so that computers can hack encryption in a reasonable amount of time. Um, You know, encryption's secure because it's such a complicated process to hack that it would just take more time, you know, take years, if not decades. As that timeline gets shorter due to quantum computing, it is a little scary that all this encryption that we have kind of depended on for the past probably 10 years as like, that's how we're going to make sure our data is secure. If that blanket's pulled out from underneath us, it's a scary world. Yes. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot I can do about
1: that. I don't know the details of that, but I know that that's a thing. And as it, you know, I do understand about exponential growth and how, <laughs> and how that is, you know, a factor of play here.
0: Yeah. And so kind of along those lines, has Safe Passage ever experienced any kind of either major cyber event or major outages?
1: The, you know, we've certainly had outages in both our, like our website, our network, our phone system, which is all you know, run through the network. We, we have had those.
0: Anything significant that lasted more than just a little while?
1: Um, we were able, you know, we have, you know, we have tech vendors. We, you know, we, we were able to get back online in a reasonable period of time. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we often talk about technology from the lens of making things better. Have you ever found a situation where you feel like technology actually made things worse?
1: Um, I mean, the. I think as we try to close gaps, like I was talking about before, around racial, cultural equity, and if the opportunities for obtaining and learning and keeping up with technology are not equal in society then um advanced technology makes makes social injustice work in general like our society's gaps get deeper
0: yeah that's such an interesting take on it i haven't i've asked many people that question i've never had anybody take that approach but I, i couldn't agree more i think that is a real risk of how technology Can widen that gap to your point?
1: Well, it has become the kind of resource similar to food and water that people just need for their well being. Um, And, you know, I know people that don't have access to technology, that don't have never learned it, uh, will never learn it. They socially are more isolated, they're economically more isolated. Um, So, if they want to move, they can't apply for an apartment if they want a job, they can't apply for a job it's you know it's um it's a real um, you know it's a real um road road into poverty and homelessness that if you can't operate within the technology world,
0: yeah that's a great point so. As the executive director of a very important organization in our community, how do you personally keep up with everything going on in the technology space?
1: Well, I depend on people around me, for one thing. I try, you know, and I, I try to keep up with we have really great national partners who are doing work on the intersections of domestic violence and technology. And so they're they're working. You know, at the national level with some of the tech um, folks, with Facebook, with the phone companies. So I keep up with that. I keep up with the progress around how um, technology and the way that it affects both our organization and our clients conceptually works. So I know how applications could be working. I can't keep up with everything I would know in order to be the technician that makes it all happen. So, um, so that's where I really depend on um, you know, the people around me, both on staff and as consultants. So that um, answers your questions, but um, I have to uh I have to I kind of identify the space where my time and my brain power is going to be the most effective. You know, I don't need to learn code. There are people out there that know code. So um, but I do need to kind of understand how economic advocacy is impacted by access to technology,
0: and I think that's exactly yeah. right. So yeah, you don't need to know how to do it, but you need to know what it's capable of.
1: Right, right. I need to know what the barriers are, and I also need to know that how how people who are do, who are using abuse are actually using technology to further that abuse, and so you know, I need to know that and I need to kind of help think through strategies to counter that.
0: Yeah. And you get a lot of that from your national partners?
1: I get that from my national partners and from statewide partners. Our statewide, you know, we have a national and state structure where we're all kind of connected to coalitions.
0: Got it. All right. Well, before I let you go, it's time for what we call fast questions from Flat Delsey. Stealthy and good afternoon. In just a moment, I'm going to read you a series of choices, and your job is to, as quickly as possible, just share with me your preference. Are you ready, Marianne? Yes. All right. Tacos or burritos? Tacos. Ocean or lake? Lake. Coffee or tea?
1: Coffee. Superman or Batman? Superman. Phone call or text? Oh, phone. Bagels or donuts? Um, bagels. Vermont or New Hampshire? Oh, probably Vermont. <laughs> and finally, passenger or driver? Uh, passenger.
0: Well, Marianne, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. I know I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I know that our audience will as well.
1: well thank you. It was my pleasure.